Well, this morning, let's continue our worship in the Word by taking some time to prepare our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, to be here to worship you, uh, to surrender our hearts before you. And uh, Father, we're just grateful, Lord, for uh, Jesus, uh, for what he's done for us, dying on the cross, providing us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And we have a reason to sing. We have a reason to worship this morning. Father, as we continue our worship in your word, Lord, I, I do pray, Father, that you would get us uh, out of the way, Lord, any distractions that you would remove them. I, I pray, Lord, wherever we've been this past week, whatever we're going to be facing this next week, that right now, Lord, you would have the opportunity to speak to us. And Lord, we pray that your, would, your word would be like a seed that takes root in our hearts and bears fruit unto righteousness. And so, Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, we ask that you'd give us. And who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, this morning, I'd like to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them. And turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the first 23 verses together. As you head there in your Bibles, we're actually beginning a new series that I've entitled, The Parables of Jesus. And so over the next six weeks or so, as we draw closer to Easter, we're going to be talking about the parables of Jesus and what they reveal about his coming. Uh, what they reveal about his coming through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the first parable we're going to be looking at together is known as the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. As you head there to Matthew 13, the, uh, when you take a look at the gospel of Matthew, the gospel is all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that comes through the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, who's going to rule and reign over the hearts of men and over all things. As we turn the page to chapter 13, Jesus is continuing to minister, and his ministry is continuing to grow in popularity. But alongside of this growing popularity is a growing hostility from the Jewish leaders. And in chapter 13, a shift begins to happen in terms of the method in which Jesus is teaching. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, into the first 12 chapters, Jesus has not taught in parables. So for the first time in chapter 13, Jesus is going to begin teaching in parables, and he's going to continue to do just that. And as we're going to read through our parable today, to actually understand the parables, Jesus tells a parable, this parable, the parable of the sower. And so what we're going to be talking about together in our text is what does the parable of the sower reveal about our hearts? What does the parable of the sower reveal about our hearts in response to the word of God? And so as we consider this parable together, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God this morning. Chapter 13, verse 1 reads this way. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. 
But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ear to hear, let him hear. The disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of his people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see." And your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. As we take time to consider the parable of the sower, we're going to consider what it reveals about our hearts. And so my prayer as we read this parable, perhaps it's familiar to some of you, others not so much, I pray that you would open your heart to what God wants to speak to it in relationship to what the parable reveals about your heart in relationship to the truth of God's word. As we unpack this parable in the first nine verses, we get to read about the message of the parable. The message of the parable. Jesus introduces that message in verse 1 by giving us the setting. The setting in which he's going to share this parable as he's going to share more parables in the rest of the chapters. It says, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. You can't help but consider for a moment that if there was anyone who deserved a moment of rest or refreshment, it was Jesus. And the text tells us on this particular day, he left on this day, the same day, he, he left the house and sat by the sea. Uh, perhaps that was a refreshing moment. If you read the previous chapter, you learn if there is anyone who deserved or who, was, who had a reason to be exhausted, it probably was Jesus, whether or not he was or not. 
Uh, not only because of the busyness of his ministry and the fullness of his schedule, but as you read chapter 12, there is so much hostility towards Jesus, his teaching, and his disciples. In chapter 12, in the first 10 verses, if you read there, you'll learn that he is accused by the Jewish leaders on two different occasions of, of wrongdoing on the Sabbath, him and his disciples. In chapter 12 verse 14, you learn that not only are they accusing him of these things, but they're plotting to destroy him. In other words, they're not just trying to mess with Jesus and his ministry. They want to kill him altogether. You talk about someone who has a reason to be exhausted, it's, it's Jesus. And then you continue to read, and Jesus can't do anything right. He goes ahead and he heals a man who is mute, a man who is blind, and a man who is demon-possessed. And in chapter 12, verse 24, they accuse him of operating not in the power of God and the Holy Spirit, but accuse him of operating uh, in the power of Satan. And you can just imagine, for just a moment, Jesus leaves the house on the same day, and he sits by the sea, and you can just consider for a moment, he gets that brief moment of refreshment. I mean, you can almost hear the waves crashing on the shore, or you can smell the salty air. Perhaps you can hear the birds chirping, and then as he's sitting there, you can also hear the crowds beginning to gather. And as those crowds begin to gather, Jesus doesn't turn them away. He doesn't rebuke them. Rather, he ministers to them. He gets into a boat. And he's not going to flee from them into the Sea of Galilee. No, he gets into the boat and he goes a little away from the shore and he sits down as it was tradition for a teacher to do. And you can just picture it. He's sitting and everyone's standing. It's a preacher's dream. <laughs> and as he's teaching, as he's sitting and they're all standing on the shore, they can almost hear his teaching as it reverberates off of the water to their ears. And he begins to teach them in the text says parables. Now a parable, what is it? A parable is sometimes described as a uh, earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but a parable in the original language, when you take a look at the word para, simply means that which comes alongside of something else. And so a parable is that which comes alongside of the truth of God's word to illustrate it. And so Jesus is going to tell parables, and we're going to see in a moment there is a purpose for these parables. The purpose is not just to reveal truth to those whose faith is genuine, but to conceal truth from those whose hearts have to those whose hearts have already been hardened. Now, this is the first parable we're going to look at, but if you ever have a chance to read through the parables, my encouragement is to take a look at two things. The first thing is context, the second thing is culture. When you take a look at a parable and you're studying it, first you want to take a look at the context in which Jesus is sharing the parable. Often Jesus is talking to individuals and perhaps they ask a question and in response to that question he's going to tell a parable or possibly it's a situation that is happening and Jesus in response to the situation tells the parable. For instance when it comes to this parable, the parable of the sower, we know that Jesus's ministry is is starting to gain momentum. There is a growing popularity, but there is also a growing hostility. And Jesus knows that among the crowds, there are some whose faith is genuine, but there are also those whose faith is a bit superficial. And in order to 
teach, those whose hearts hear but don't understand, and also those whose hearts hear and do understand, he tells the parables to differentiate the two groups. And we get to see the context in which Jesus is teaching this large crowd. And the purpose for the parable is both to reveal, as we're going to see, and conceal in verses 10 to 17. So the first thing we need to look at is the context. The second thing we need to look at is the culture. I don't know about you, but when I read the parables, I think to myself, that's a bit strange. (laughs) And the reason is because we don't live in the same first century culture as they did. And Jesus taught these truths through um, stories that they could understand. And for them, when it comes to the principle of the, or the parable of the sower, they were very familiar with farming. It was an agrarian society. You, um, you would probably see, unless you did it yourself, farmers who put these bags around their waists and tied it around and took seeds and they would spread them accordingly. And so he speaks to them in stories that they can understand in the culture that they are in. And so as we move forward in light of this parable, knowing the context and considering the culture, we get to move forward to the message. And in verse 3, as Jesus begins to teach them in parables, the text goes on to say, behold. The invitation of Jesus is to see the story that he's telling as if you're there and you can see it for yourself. Behold, a a sower went out to sow. In other words, it's a a farmer who's sowing seeds and and tossing seeds so that he will get a, a large harvest. Now, as we walk through this parable, I want you to know as we walk through it, the emphasis is not necessarily on the sower or the seed. The emphasis is on the soils. And Jesus is going to talk about four kinds of soils. He says, And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. So this first ground I would describe as a hard soil. It's the soil where there is foot traffic. This is a footpath. And often when you take a look at the fields in, first century, in the first century, you had certain paths where people would, the farmer would walk on, or people would walk on, or perhaps on the outer part of the fields. And so these were the places where the ground had become so compacted because they're walkways that if you were to toss seed there, that seed cannot penetrate the ground. And so like concrete, that seed simply bounces off of it. And either because of foot traffic which stomps on it or birds who come and eat it away, the first kind of soil described here is a hard soil on a footpath that falls by the wayside. And because it cannot penetrate the ground, the birds come and eat it up. The second kind of soil I would describe is rocky soil. This soil looks good, but it's shallow. And while it being shallow, it has the seed penetrate the ground, but it can't take root because underground are some rocks that perhaps the farmer cannot see that ultimately will not allow the seed to take to, for its root to go deep. It says in verse 5, some fell on the stony places where they didn't have much earth and they immediately sprang up. So it's shallow ground and it sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And so the sun destroys the crop and it cannot grow because there is no root that can go deeper. And then the third kind of ground is thorny soil. The text goes on to say, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. 
You know, when I think of the thorny soil where there are thorn bushes, living in Oregon, I can't help but think of those, those blackberry bushes. <laughs> you know, coming to Oregon from Arizona a few years ago, I could have never imagined blackberry bushes. I thought to myself when I first came here, that's amazing. You can just pick wild blackberries right off the street and enjoy the treat. But I remember, because when we first moved here, we lived in the church parsonage right across the street, and there would be these blackberry bushes. If they were not maintained, they will choke out anything that is around them, including giant bushes. These things are such a problem that we had a neighbor behind us that had grown the bushes over their fence. And I still remember getting my, my, you know, my cutters and cutting them as it fell on my back and then yelling for my wife as she ripped those things out <laughs> of my back. And when I think of these thorny places that choke out the seed, I'm thinking of these wild blackberry bushes. And what Jesus is saying here, the third kind of soil is the, the thorny soil where it chokes out the seed. The seed cannot take root. And then the third, the fourth kind of soil, of course, is good, is good soil. The text goes on to say, but others fell on good ground and yielded crop. In other words, the seed penetrates the ground, and after it penetrates the ground, there are no rocks, there is no thorns that will choke it out, but it's able to take root and bear fruit. And the fruit is much fruit. The text says hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. That's unusual for any farmer. Now it might be fivefold. I mean, that's a, a good harvest, but a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. If you are hearing this, you're thinking to yourself, there is something going on there, something possibly supernatural. And Jesus, after he gives the message of the parable, says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Is Jesus saying, if you've got ears, you need to listen up? No, he'd be talking to everybody. What he's saying, if you have a desire to understand, lean in. If you have a desire to understand, listen carefully to what I'm about to share with you in regards to the meaning of this parable. I'd like to suggest that if you were among that crowd, picture yourself there, perhaps you can almost smell the salty air. You're listening to Jesus as he's telling this message, four soils, the sower went out to sow seeds. And as you're listening to the message, he gets to the end of it. And possibly this is the first time you get to hear of Jesus. You know his popularity is growing. Possibly a friend said, hey, why don't we go listen to him? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I wonder what he's going to say. He's a master storyteller, right? He's done miracle signs and wonders. He doesn't teach like the scribes and the Jewish leaders. He doesn't speak as a man with authority. He speaks uh, like, like the authority of God when he declares the word of God. And here he is as you're sitting among the crowd and he's talking about agriculture, it sounds like. He's talking about four kinds of soils. And one of your first responses might be, you know what, not the guy I expected. You know, possibly I was going to, thought I was going to be entertained with some miracle signs and wonders. Actually, I'm going to head out and I'm going to go home. And so that's a, that's a possible response. You know, when I put myself there, I'm thinking to myself, if a friend brought me or I brought a friend, I would be turning to that friend and saying, do you know what he's talking about? 
And I can imagine my friend turning to me and telling me, I don't know what he's talking about. I thought you knew what he was talking about. Well, he's a master teacher. There must be some deeper meaning here. And some of us might say among the crowd is I've got better things to do. I've got better things to do than listen about the kingdom of God or what he's going to talk about. I've got a family to take care of. I've got work to be done. I've got some some field to sow seeds in. I don't have time to sit down and listen to Jesus. And yet Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, lean in. Listen up and linger a little Longer. You know, this morning we are invited whenever we come to the Word of God to consider our response to it, whether we're gathered together as we are this morning or we're in devotional time during the week or we're in a small group setting. When we open up God's Word, it's almost as if Jesus is telling us, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you have a desire to truly understand what my word has to say, Jesus is telling us, Why don't you lean in? Why don't you linger? And why don't you listen carefully? When you approach God's word, do you lean in, linger, and listen carefully? And when you come to the word of God, say, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. I don't have anything better to do this morning except get into your word because there are some hardships I'm going to face today. There are some challenges I'm going through. There are some crises that I don't see in the future that I need to be prepared for. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to linger as you speak. This morning, I want to pause here for just a moment and ask us, how do we get the most out of the word of God? How can we be the kind of people who listens, lingers, and leans in? I'd encourage us, number one, by starting by getting a copy of the Word of God. Isn't this amazing that we have God's Word? You know, if Jesus showed up in Springfield and we said, hey, he's going to be teaching out by the river, I would want to go and tell everybody to come and listen. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, has come to teach and to preach. And how many of you know we've got his word? And every time we open it, we should see it as if Jesus is speaking directly to us. So it's important that you get your own copy. If I can encourage us, I would encourage us to, if you have an electronic copy, that's good and well, because I have one and it's a great blessing to me. But if you don't have a physical copy, get one. Get a word that you can read, that you can open, that you can walk around with, that you can study. Yes, the electronic copy is a blessing when you need it, but so is the physical copy. If you don't have a physical copy, get one. If you say, I can't afford one, we've got some in the back seat of your chairs, and you can take that home as our gift to you this morning. But my prayer is that you'd get a Bible so that you can lean in, linger, and listen carefully to what God has to tell you. You. Secondly, before you approach God's word, if you want to get the most out of it, ask God to help you understand what he's telling you. If you're among the crowd, you look to your neighbor, they look at you and you say, I have no idea what he's talking about. You lean into the Lord and say, God, help me understand. Help me Show me what you're talking to me about. You know, before bed, our devotional time with our, our, our kids, I always tell our girls, hey, before we open up the Bible, what should we do? And they always say, we're supposed to pray. I say, yeah, but why should we pray? Well, because we need to thank God that he's given us his word, but ask him to help us under. 
understand it. I got to tell them last night, I said, Daddy doesn't understand everything in here, and he can't understand anything in here without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so when you approach God's word, begin by asking God to enlighten you to the truth of God's word. And then thirdly, I think this is so important, and it was a helpful reminder for me, being reminded to approach God's word daily at a time that is set apart as we give God our undivided attention. Now, I'm sure there are moments during the day where you are multitasking. Possibly you're one of those people who say, I'm, I'm an auditory learner, and so I listen to the Word of God. I don't necessarily read the Word of God. And so you have all these apps and all these different things that can talk the Word to you, and you can multitask. But is there any time during the day where you got, give God your undivided attention? I don't know about you, but my biggest distraction, I left it down there, is my phone. It's not just a distraction for me and my relationships with others, my spouse, my children, and, and others that I come into contact with, but my phone is a huge distraction when it comes to my relationship with God. I was reading a, uh, an article this week by a Christian blogger who's talking about how, his, how the phone is, is such a challenge to having, having intimate conversations with his wife. I want to read this to you, and, and I want to draw it into our relationship to God and his word. He says this, Tim Kyles, he says, Can I confess something to you? He says, There's one thing Aileen, that's his wife, does, does that really bugs me. We will be talking together and enjoying one another's company, but then as we chat, I'll hear her telltale buzz of her phone, and I can tell in that moment that I've lost her. I can see it in the look on her face. I can hear it in the tone of her voice. She goes from making eye contact to breaking it, from engaged to distracted, from involved in a conversation to muttering toneless, uh-huh, uh-huh. You ever been there? You know, you're talking to someone, you want to give them your undivided attention, but you feel, feel the buzz and you're thinking, I wonder who's texting me or I wonder who's trying to call me. I know immediately that I may as well just pause and wait so she can check her phone and reply to the message. This is why I encourage us to have a physical copy rather than an electronic copy. Because sometimes I'm in the Word of God on my electronic copy and it's a blessing because wherever I am, I got my phone and I got the Bible and I got the truth of God's Word. But when there's a buzz on there, I'm distracted from giving God my undivided attention. This morning, is there anything keeping you, whether it's your phone or the distractions in your life, where you don't give God your undivided attention as you study his word? And so first, Jesus begins by giving the message. Secondly, he gives the motivation behind the message. The motivation behind the message, beginning in verse 10, it says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables. You know, some have suggested this is not just a question, it's a statement because as Jesus is telling these parables, for the first time he's teaching in parables, the disciples are thinking to themselves, wow, just take a look at these crowds, Jesus, that are growing. I mean, you're sitting on a boat and you've got hundreds, if not thousands of people hearing what you have to tell them as you're preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And here you talk to this huge crowd of followers and you talk to them in parables. <laughs> no one understands what you're talking about unless you enlighten them to the truth. Some of them are thinking you're talking about agriculture or farming or soils. 
And so they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, why are you talking to them in parables? Because when we think about parables, a lot of times, sometimes you, you hear people say, well, the reason Jesus taught in parables was to make complex truth simple, to illustrate them, right? No, Jesus had a very particular purpose for these parables, and Jesus answers them and says to them, here's the motivation for the parables at this point in ministry and the rest of his time. He says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. What do the parables reveal? They reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? The reign and rule of Jesus Christ that comes forth over the hearts of men and over all things. Jesus is the king and his kingdom is that which, which he rules over. And so the parables reveal the, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, to you the parables have been revealed, but to them it has been concealed. And in a moment we're going to see why he conceals the truth from those whose hearts have already been hardened. You know, when you pause and you take a look at verse 11, you can't help but uh, think to yourself that when it comes to your heart, God is sovereign over it. He's the one who reveals and he's the one who conceals. And not only is he sovereign over the soil of your heart, he's sovereign over your salvation. And so he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The only way that we can hear if God enlightens us to the truth of who he is. In John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. So you get to hear the sovereignty of God over the human heart and the sovereignty of God over salvation that our ability to even put our faith and our trust in him is dependent on him drawing us to the truth of who he is and allowing us to understand what he's telling us. So he says to you guys, to my disciples who have leaned in, who have lingered, and who are continuing to listen carefully because some of the crowd has already dispersed. Some of the folks had said, you know, I don't need this. I've got more important things to do than to hear what Jesus has to explain in terms of this message. But there are others who are here, and he says, to you it has been revealed the truth of the kingdom of God through these parables. He's going to say, verse 12, for whoever has to him, more will be given. And so if you're among the crowd and you've just heard this parable, which is actually a parable of the kingdom of God that comes through the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, and you say, I don't know what it means, but I'm going to listen. I'm going to linger, and I'm going to lean in as Jesus tells me, because it's so important for me to do so. Jesus says, not only will it be revealed to you, but not only will you believe, but you will, be, you will produce much fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. Think about that promise for just a moment to all of us this morning. When you open up the God's word in devotional time and you say, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. God is going to work in your heart and your life in an amazing way that you can, and I could never imagine or dream, and he's going to make us incredibly fruitful. 
You know, it's not a waste of time to come on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday afternoon or a small group Bible study to study God's word because as we lean in and linger in the truth of what God's word has to tell us, God makes us useful and makes us effective and he continues to bear fruit in our lives. And it's a great blessing indeed. But the text says, but whoever does not have... You read the devotional in the morning. You go on with your day. It's one in one ear and goes out the other. You come on a Sunday morning. You open your Bible. Throw it in the back of your car. And then pick it up next Sunday on your way to church. It says here in the text. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. There were some in the crowd who thought to themselves. I'm here to listen to what Jesus has to say. And that's what they had. But even if they reject the word of God altogether. Even that desire is taken away from them. In response to the hardness of their hearts. Verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Why does Jesus speak in parables? The reason he speaks in parables is to reveal the hardness of their hearts. And the hardness of their hearts is the reason it's become hardened is because of their rejection of God's word and the authority of God to share his word. When you think about our culture And those who are in it, when you get to share the word of God with them, oftentimes they'll reject it. Why? Because they say it's not authoritative, it's not true. It has no authority in my life, and even if God says he has authority in my life, I reject it altogether. That's what leads to a hardened heart. You know what else leads to a hardened heart is sin. Because even if you say, yeah, I believe the Bible is God-breathed, all 66 books... I believe it's given by God and then you're walking in sin. Often that sin is ultimately what leads to doubt. And often those who are questioning their faith aren't necessarily those who are struggling with doubt first and foremost, but those who are struggling with sin. And as you give in to sin, it leads to doubt of the word of God. And so Jesus refers to the hardness of our hearts. And they said, the reason I'm talking to you in parables is because it's a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 6. He says, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And this was talking about those in Israel. Isaiah is called upon to preach the word of God. Who, who, who can I send? Who will go out? Isaiah realizes, he says in chapter 6, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so Isaiah ultimately volunteers. And guess what Isaiah is told? Listen, you're going to preach to folks who aren't going to listen. You're going to preach to folks who have eyes but they cannot see, ears who can't, but they cannot hear because their eyes have been blinded. In the text it says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Stand and seeing you will see and not perceive their hearts have been hardened. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And Jesus says this, the reason I talk to them in parables is to fulfill Isaiah chapter 6 in order to show that their hearts have been hardened just as the hearts in Israel had been hardened all those years prior. 
The question is when you say, well, I don't understand God's word and I have no desire to understand it. That's a hardened heart that rejects the word and rejects the authority of his word over your life and over mine. And then we see in verses 16 to 17 this, we're reminded that who is the one who gives our eyes the ability to see and our ears the ability to hear and understand and to believe in Jesus? It's from God. It says, but blessed are your eyes for they see. How are their eyes blessed? God gave them the ability to see. And your ears for they hear. How are their ears blessed so that they can hear? God gives them their ears the ability to hear. If your hearing has grown dull, if you are unable to see and understand the truth of God's word, the invitation is to come before the Lord and have him enlighten your heart to the truth therein. Verse 17 says, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. Can you imagine there are some in the Old Testament Folks like Abraham or Moses or some of the likes of them who, who long to see what they see or long to look back to see what you and I see. And it says, and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Can you imagine how blessed we are to live at this time in salvation history? How blessed we are to have the whole canon of Scripture, all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, and to see how God has been working in the past, how God is working in the present, and how God is working in the future. As we consider how Jesus came and died and rose again, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, but before ascending, he said, I'm coming back again in glory, and we are eagerly anticipating that. Can you imagine the conversations you're going to have with the Old Testament prophets? As you talk to Elijah or Elisha and you consider what they experienced and then you get to say, I lived at a unique time in history when I had the whole scripture. Can you imagine talking to Job? You know, Job doesn't even know what's going on in the background of his life. And you get to talk to him and say, yeah, Job, I've I've read the book about you and all that God did in and through you and reminded you of his presence even in the midst of the hardships that you Face. Isn't that amazing to think about for a moment? This morning, Jesus tells us the motivation for the parables and the motivation for this one. His motivation is to reveal the truth to those whose hearts are softened, who will respond with receptive hearts to lean in, to linger, and to listen carefully. But the purpose of the parables is to conceal truth to those whose hearts have already been hardened. Hardened by sin, hardened by the world, hardened by the desires of their heart, hardened by the rejection of God's word and the authority of it over their lives. And those who hear the word but don't understand the word are those whose hearts have already been hardened. And so as we pause here for a moment, let's consider this. Is there anything that is keeping your heart this morning from being receptive? to what God has to say in his word. When you come to God's word, is there anything in in you that's so prideful to say, you know, I can start my day without him today. I don't need his word. I don't need time in prayer. Is there anything in us that, that causes us to say, well, I know that's what God says in his word about this or that in my life, but, you know, I think I have a better way. Ultimately, your heart is being hardened to what God has to say in his word, and we need to guard against just that. And so we begin with the message of the parable, the motivation for the parable to reveal, 
to reveal and to conceal. And then lastly this morning, in verses 18 to 23, we get to see the meaning of the parable. Some have stuck around. You're still here. We're continuing to walk through the text. Some have left, but some have stuck around. They say, Jesus, we're going to listen. We're going to linger. We're going to lean into what you're going to tell us. And who helps you understand what the word says? Jesus. Verse 18, it says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. He said, if you have ears to hear, hear. And now he says, hear the parable of the sower. Listen to my explanation of it. I'm going to enlighten you to the truth. And only those who have lingered and are ready to hear what he says. In verse 9 he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So who's the sower here? It's Jesus or anyone who preaches and proclaims the kingdom of God through the coming of Christ. Who is the sower? It's Jesus Christ or anyone who preaches and proclaims the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is the proclamation of the kingdom of God as we proclaim Christ and him crucified. The seed here is the word of God. And so before I move forward and talk about the emphasis of the parable, which is the four soils, I want you to know this. If ever you are one who is sowing the seed of the gospel in the life of a family member, a friend, an acquaintance, be reminded that you don't manufacture what seed you plant or you scatter. You simply share what the word of God says. We're just messengers. We're not creating the message. We're not manufacturing the message. We don't have to, we don't have to um, entertain the people in order to bring a message that will pierce their hearts. All we need to do is bring the message of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. For the Jew first and also the Greek. Romans 1.16. If you have the power of the gospel and you know well, that Jesus came, he died, he rose and offered salvation as a gift to anyone who would receive it. That's the message we preach and that's the message we proclaim. And so it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So the first thing we saw was a hard soil, which represents a hardened heart. And just like a hard soil where the seed cannot penetrate the ground, the seed of God's word cannot penetrate the heart. And like concrete, it's read or it's shared and the gospel is talked about, but it bounces off of the heart and those birds that come and eat it away is none other than the wicked one who comes and snatches away the truth of the God's word from ever taking root in the life of the person who has heard it. Perhaps you're here this morning, you would say, yeah, my heart is hard. Even as I'm listening to this or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the seed is just bouncing off. This morning, possibly, you're thinking of those who you have an opportunity to minister in your family and among your friends, and you get to share the gospel with them. And and there are times when you share your testimony with them of how God's worked in your life and how God can work in their life, and you know that seed just doesn't penetrate. It bounces off. You know, when I think about this first heart, I think of um, 
one day on, about over a decade ago when I was in college, I still remember, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore, I still remember coming to class, and on my way to class, I was stopped by a Gideon. And the Gideon passed me a Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Gideons, they pass out Bibles. They get Bibles into as many hotel rooms as possible. Usually, you'll find a Gideon Bible in the hotel that you're staying at. And they passed me a New Testament Bible. And I remember taking it. And as a Christian, I was thinking, this is great. You got people on campus passing out these Bibles. And there were many Gideons. And they were passing out hundreds, if not thousands, of New Testament Bibles that particular day. And I remember observing and thinking to myself, this is great. And I was watching what the other students were doing. And for the most part, some people said, no, thank you. But for the most part, some, many people took the Bible. But as they took the Bible, there were some who took the Bible and they realized what was in their hand and they immediately threw it on the ground and said, what is this? There were others as I was walking through campus who uh, eventually had thrown it on the ground. I mean, they didn't even throw it in the trash. Some people threw it in the trash. But I will tell you on this particular day as I was walking to class, our campus, the University of Arizona, was littered with New Testament Bibles all Around And you know what? That was a picture to me of the hardness of the hearts of those students on that campus. That not only were they willing, not willing to take the word of God, but they discarded it as if it was nothing on the ground and some even threw it away. That's a hard heart where you are not even willing to read it or to ask God to help you understand it or to help you understand who he is in relationship to who you are so that you and I can have a personal relationship with him so that there is a pathway for how we can get into heaven and be in relationship with him. Did you know God loves you and God loves me? And he demonstrated that love by sending his son Jesus to go and die on a cross and the Bible is God's love letter to us. And there are some people who read the Bible and say, I don't get nothing, I get nothing out of it. There's nothing in it. And the question is, are you reading the mail that's been given to you? Are you reading someone else's mail? This morning, we're reminded God's word is for those who would respond and say, I need Jesus. I need hope. I need salvation. I need forgiveness of sin. I'm a wretched sinner deserving of eternal wrath and judgment. And those who the kingdom of God is for are those who would see their need for Jesus, who would see themselves as sinners in need of the great physician who can heal them. And the manner in which he can heal you and I is through his death on the cross. He became our sacrifice. He became our substitute. And so the first soil is, is a hardened heart. Speaks of the, the, the seed that, that just bounces off and possibly you can think of whether your heart is there this morning. The second seed falls on a heart, the seed of God's word that is um, both shallow and rocky. It's a stony and shallow ground. It says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The second ground is shallow ground and rocky ground. And so there are some of us who are driven by emotion. 
you put me in the right place at the right time and you got the right kind of music and I'm in the right atmosphere and I've got the right preacher really bringing it and they get excited, they get emotional. These are the kinds of people who jump up and down and while they are driven by emotion and they seem to have joy when hardships and tribulations and persecution come because of the word, it's shown forth that it has no depth. That the word of God began to take root or it looked like it, but the reality was they were driven by emotion and not by truth. They grounded themselves in how they feel. And the problem with emotion is it's like a roller coaster. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Sometimes I feel like going to church, other times I don't. Sometimes I'm having a good week, sometimes I'm having a terrible week. But are you following Jesus through the valleys and the mountaintops? Are you following Jesus when it's stormy and when there are clear skies? Because if Jesus is in your boat as you hear in the Gospels, you have everything you need. He commands the supernatural world and the natural world. He can make the seas stand still. And so the second ground of the heart of one, the soil of one's heart is, is that which is, is rocky. This morning, can I ask you, is that your heart? But you say, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people who's driven by emotion. Sometimes I'm on fire for God. Other times I'm not. You know, when it comes to, it comes to following Jesus, I, I jump up and down and I get excited about uh, certain things. But, but when hardships come, my faith begins to, to waver. And the third soil, as we continue to read, is, is thorny. It says, um, verse 21 uh, verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And so it looks as if this third soil is one where the word of God begins to take root, but then it's choked out by our worries and our worldly desires. It's choked out by the worries of life where we are so stressed and we struggle with trusting God. We're constantly thinking about what could go wrong and so the worries of life is what we begin to focus on. You know, in overhead in an orchard, Elizabeth Cheney once expressed it this way, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. The birds have no reason to worry. They know that they are going to be taken care of and yet the word of God gets choked out by our worries. When we worry, when we stress, when we get overwhelmed with the things of life, the question is, how big is your God? How able is your God? I don't know, when I read the word of God, I'm reminded my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. My God is able. And so the worries choke out the word of God. Our worldly desires and our worldly pursuits choke out the word of God. You know, I was listening to a podcast this week, a secular podcast, and they were talking about how to be a self-made millionaire. 
And this guy, he's like an expert in his field. And you know what he was saying about being a self-made millionaire? He said, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to put in the hours. You've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to be that self-made millionaire. And I think to myself, they've got zeal and they've got passion for all the wrong things. I don't know about you, but I want to sacrifice. I want to give my time. I want to give my efforts for the kingdom of God because it's much more valuable than ever being a say, self-made made millionaire. That's all junk. That's all rubbish. It's all manure in comparisons to the riches that we have in Christ, our Savior and our Lord. What, what in your life is choking out the word of God from taking root and from allowing you to be a fruitful Christian? Is there anything that's keeping you or me from, from going all in to serve the Lord and to faithfully make disciples in our circles of influence and make an impact for the kingdom of God? What's holding you back? What worldly desires and worldly pursuits or worries of this life are getting in the way of you being as available and effective for the kingdom of God as you and I should be. And then the final soil is the soil that is good ground. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. What, how is this parable connected to the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God refers to the rule and reign of God. And when you think about those who are part of the kingdom of God, it's those whose hearts have been surrendered and submitted to the rule and reign of Christ over their lives. This morning, let me ask you this. When you wake up in the morning, is your heart fully surrendered and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Is there any area of your life or mine that is not fully surrendered? Is there a part of our heart, maybe our marriage or our family, that, that we say, God, you can have all this, but that, that's mine. Jesus doesn't want 99% of your heart or your life. He wants all of it. He wants you and I to surrender all. It would be a weird thing, as we've talked about before, if we sang the song, I surrender some. Jesus desires that we surrender all. If I could give you just three takeaways as we wrap up our time together in light of this parable, as we consider what this parable reveals about our hearts, I pray that God is speaking to your heart right now. The first thing would be this, to check the soil of your heart. Check the soil of your heart. Is your heart hardened? Is your heart shallow and and, and it's really based on emotion rather than the truth of God's word. It's not grounded in truth and, and the word is taken away. Is, is your heart thorny or is your heart having a good soil where God's word can really change and transform your heart? Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. If you've got a, a hard heart, this is good news for you and me. God says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and, and give you a heart of flesh. Thanks be to God, I need one. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and 
Do them. Check the soil of your heart. Secondly, this morning, sow the seed of God's word. Sow the seed of God's word as you get to share the word with others. How should you sow? Number one, I'd encourage you to, to sow generously. To sow generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know, as we draw near to Easter, uh, we're going to be doing two services. And the reason we're doing two services is to make room for you to invite those who don't know Jesus to come, who don't have a church family to come and to hear what God is doing and can do through their life if they'll come to Jesus. And so this morning, I want to invite you to sow generously. Who are those people that you can share the word of God with? And then secondly, sow expectantly. Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Yes, sometimes it gets us a little bit uncomfortable and busy when we're sowing the seed of God's word and it takes time and we have to invite them over for dinner and make dinner and do all the rest, but it's worth it because of the joy of knowing that they're going to be in heaven with us someday. And then thirdly, so patiently, let us not grow weary while doing good. Galatians 6, 9 says, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. This morning, I want to encourage you and myself included, who are those people in your circle of influence and mine who we can be praying for, inviting to church, pouring into their life, inviting over them over to our home and watching what God does in and through their lives. And then lastly, this morning, as we allow the Lord to sow in our hearts and sow in the hearts of those we get to minister to, rely on the Holy Spirit to do it all and give him the credit, give him the glory, give him the honor and give him the praise. Can we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are grateful. We are grateful, Heavenly Father, that you have sown the seed of God's word into our hearts that you have not just given us a desire to read your word, but you have given us the desire to understand your word. And we know the promise that those who understand your word will be blessed greatly, that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear and to understand the truths therein. And so, Father, I pray that we would be fruitful that your word would indeed be a seed that's planted, that takes root and bears fruit unto righteousness, and that we would give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise that is due your name. Father, if there's someone here today who would say, my heart is hard. My heart is thorny. My heart is shallow, and it's not grounded in, in a genuine relationship. I don't have a genuine faith. I have a superficial faith, but I know I need Jesus. And Father, you are here today drawing their heart, your, their heart to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that they can come to you today. They can ex, ex, accept Jesus into their life and surrender to his reign and rule by expressing this. Father, I recognize I need Jesus. I've fallen short, I've missed the mark, and my sin separates me from a holy God and from eternity with God. But I believe that's why Jesus came. He came from heaven to earth to die as my substitute to provide me forgiveness and a path to salvation and everlasting life. Today I make Jesus my Savior. I make him my Lord. He's the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life. 
into eternity. Father, I pray this week that as we go out, that we would sow generously the truth of your word and the good news of the gospel, that we would sow expectantly, knowing, Lord, that you can and will answer our prayers in accordance with your will, Lord. And so we pray that the lost would be found and that you would use us to share our faith and that we would sow patiently, depending on you and relying on your timing. Father, thank you for our time together. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.